Welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education, and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now, here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to our show. This is Mary Woods, and we have a really great show today. Um, we're going to talk about ugliness, and um, we our guest is Tony Rayton D'Antonio, and she is a psychotherapist in private practice. She's also a professor professor of so um, sorry I can't talk today a professor of social work at Empire State College in New York and a writer. She's her current book is Ugliest Sin: The Truth About How We Look and Finding Freedom from Self Hatred. And she's also written two other books, The Velveteen Principles and The Velveteen Principles for Women. Um, welcome to our show. Tony, and um, this is just a fascinating book, and I really recommend it to everyone who's listening to really wants to look at um, how we all buy into our culture in terms of what's pretty and what isn't pretty and how it affects us and our children, and it just goes on and on. And, um, Tony, one of the things you first begin talking about in your book is how ugliness is biological, and can you share with our audience what that is? Well, uh, most of us, or many of us, if not most of us, struggle on a day-to-day basis with uh, issues of appearance. Uh, when we look in the mirror, we think, ugh, disgusting, I'm so ugly, how do I hide this? You know, what's the best brand of concealer and what have you? What we don't realize, and what I realized as I was researching Ugly as Sin, is that the origins of ugliness are, in fact, biological and very primal. Our response to ugliness, which is disgust, is related to early signs of disease and early signs that someone else was not a good candidate for reproduction. That, you know, before we had DNA analysis, the best way to know if somebody was a good candidate for for mating had to do with those biological markers of health. The problem is that nowadays those markers have all become so distorted and so exaggerated that even the things that we consider beautiful aren't necessarily about biology because they've all become uh, distorted with the so-called beauty technologies that we all wonder, you know, should should I save for Botox, collagen, plastic surgery, uh, push-up bras, spanks, you name it. How did you get interested in writing about ugliness? Um. <laughs> uh, well, I'm female, <laughs> and I... That about uh, sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, I um, I am a woman in this culture, and as a result, I've been brainwashed into believing that my primary value on this planet was um, to be attractive. And I was riding down the highway one day on the way to an overpriced hair appointment, I suspect, and I looked down at my leg at a traffic light and saw my leg spread out on the seat below me. <laughs> And I was quite horrified, and I had the standard response, which was, oh, my gosh, that is disgusting. Look at that cellulite. I immediately lifted my thigh up off the chair, wondering, you know, who sees this hideosity on me? And I thought, now, wait a minute there, girlfriend. Your 
five decades on this planet and you're still doing this, and enough's enough. And that's how it started to manifest for me, to really, really look at how often in my own mind I thought that something on or about myself was ugly, and how many times in my psychotherapy practice people came into my office apologizing for their appearance or telling me that they were deleting themselves from photographs or that someone had called them ugly in an abusive relationship. And I knew it was kind of a core issue. When I think about people that I've worked with who've been in therapy, um, you know, it seems like as a culture we're very superficial because there are some really, really nice, fun, good-hearted people who may not get on the cover of People magazine. And then there are other people who click on the cover of People magazine and at, and at their core they're shallow and, you know, it's like um, it, it's like that's all they care about is how they look, their nails, when they got their nails done, did they get waxed, did they get... Um, you know, the French manicure versus the regular manicure. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it becomes so much of a self-absorption that it gets it, it's boring to listen to. It is boring, and it's uh, very, very time and money and energy consuming. Uh, and that's uh, one, of the, one of the themes of the book is that this is wasteful. Because, that you know, women, since women are primarily the focus of this concern, although men are as well, um, we have a lot to offer. And if our time, money, and effort is instead focused on whether or not we have a chip in our nail polish or a bump in our nose, we're not contributing what we could be contributing. And we are valuable apart from our appearance. Well, we know that, but it doesn't seem like the greater population knows that. Well, um, I wish we knew it better than apparently we do, Mary. Um, What I see in my office with my psychotherapy clients is a lot of baseline worry about appearance. And these are not just, you know, people who have serious mental illnesses or eating disorders or what have you although I do see lots of that, these are just regular functioning folks who are terribly concerned underneath everything about whether or not they look okay, whether or not they're passing for pretty. And I use the term passing for pretty deliberately because the term passing relates to other issues of bigotry and prejudice in our culture. For instance, uh, when people tried to pass for white or pass for non-Jewish or pass for straight. When you, at the core of you, believe that you are ugly, you do what you can do to try to pass for pretty so that you get the rights and privileges that come with prettiness in this culture. Well, and it is true that if you're a tall, blonde woman with long hair, you don't really have to work as hard as a short, dark-haired woman who has 10 extra pounds. Well, you certainly might uh, be overlooked in certain circumstances. One of the paradoxes of um, 
this whole beauty focus is that if you're too attractive or you overdo the efforts and they are conspicuous, you lose credibility. And women as a group are often not viewed as credible if we don't try to be attractive, but if you try too much and you're too attractive, then you're not credible either. So there's some sort of a sweet spot that kind of eludes most of us, (laughs) and we try to get it right, but it's very tricky. It's a real tightrope walk. The fashions this season, for instance, include things like leopard print leggings. I don't know about you, Mary, but I don't think I would look very good in a pair of leopard print leggings. I don't think I would either. establish my credibility. Right. Well, I was walking through a department store the other day, and I went through the children's, walked through the uh, little girls' section, Mm -hmm. and they, they look like, outfits that I wouldn't want my teenager to wear, and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of message are we giving to these little girls who are dressed like they should be walking this strip in Las Vegas? That's exactly right. You know, know, ever more extreme styles, not just in fashion but also in behavior, have become normalized. And, in fact, you know, I wrote an article this morning. I don't know where it's going to be published, but um, I wrote an article this morning about Snooki from the television show The Jersey Shore. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's a young woman who is um, pretty much lampooned culturally. And, you know, while she may have some obnoxious behaviors, the main focus is on her clothes and her look. And she's pretty much just following the fashion trends she may overdo it. She may wear two or three trends at the same time. But this is a person who's pretty much just following the instructions for hotness. It's very challenging. But apparently she's not in that sweet spot. <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> the sweet spot has eluded her, obviously. Yeah. And so this is a person who's the butt of jokes everywhere. Well... In your book, you also um, reference now, the woman who from Scotland who sang so beautifully. Oh, Susan Boyle. Susan Boyle, and I mean that was that that was painful to listen to people talk about her, and mm-hmm. um, and I felt so bad for her because she had this beautiful talent that you know. Um, she she really, she could never do anything with, and then they wanted to make her all over so she'd be acceptable. Well, right. Ironically, she went on to sell one of the most successful first records of our time, and I, I actually think that that record was, was bought not just by people who appreciate her singing voice, but also people who are just so furious about how bigoted our culture is against people who are viewed as ugly. Right. One one of the things that I that I write about in uh, in Ugly as Sin is the terrible, un- largely unconscious bind that we're in as women. Um, there was a, a scenario wherein you know Susan Boyle became public, and there is another woman named Sham- Sharon Osbourne who um, is the wife of Ozzy Osbourne, the musician 
who herself felt terribly unattractive and had many, many plastic surgeries. And then she went on the radio saying horrible, horrible things about Susan Boyle's appearance. And I thought that's so classic, you know, that we, we feel ashamed of ourselves, we do what we can to hide our ugliness, and then we toss the hot potato of shame onto someone else to make them the ugly one. Ultimately, Sharon Osbourne took it back. Well, she didn't take it back. She apologized. But at the same time that that was going on, her daughter, Kelly, was the focus of a lot of negative press because she wasn't thin. Right. And she has gone in the, in the media and said that her recovery from her insults in media about her weight and her appearance was more difficult than giving up drugs. And so this whole intergenerational, interperson, intercultural transmission of what I call ugly phobia, which is something that is, we're not even aware that we're doing it, is really something to be looked at. I don't think that Sharon Osbourne is a mean-spirited woman. I really don't. I think she seems pretty kind. But she just went for the cheap laugh and the easy laugh, which is to call somebody ugly. And my my intention is to just open up the whole argument and, and take a look at the word in a whole new way. Well, once somebody gets deemed ugly, um, a door is closed for them, social opportunities closed for them. It's a perception that people have of other people that really affects their ability to be successful in the world. Well, that's what I'm trying to fight, actually, with the book. In fact, I, you know, I am trying to take back the you word, trying to make it less stigmatizing. And in fact, I identify myself with no shame as being ugly. And essentially, I, I think we all are. And if you're not ugly now, and and I don't know anybody who doesn't think there's something on them that's ugly, in a culture that views youth as the only marker of beauty, we're all going to be ugly eventually. Well, yeah, um, we are. <laughs> right. Um, on the other hand, though, there seems to be very much a double standard because I look at people in their 50s and I see women and men, and men don't age very well at all. And um, maybe after our commercial we can talk about the double standard with, with men's ugliness versus um, female ugliness. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is... Uh, Tony Rayton D'Antonio, and we're talking about her new book called Ugliest Sin. And Tony's really trying to kind of raise all of our consciousness around the fact that um, ugliness is abusive and the whole concept of ugliness, um, we're all affected by it. And that as the media has kind of over the last 30 years has perpetuated youth and um, beauty that most of us will never live up to those ideals, and as a result, that we all emotionally suffer from that. Um, And before we went to break, uh, I was making a comment that um, we all age and our body changes. Gravity kind of takes over for most of us, and um, there seems to be a double standard. Um, As men age and they um, develop pot bellies or gray hair or no hair, there doesn't seem to be the same standard for men as there are for women. And uh, I don't know why that surprises me, but um, <laughs> in your research, did you did you find that to be true? Uh, I wound up doing a lot of research on evolutionary biology and sexuality, surprisingly, uh, because when I first started to put together my ideas for this book, what I realized is that ugliness is, is, is biologically based. It's historically and biologically based. Um, in fact, when I, when I started to do the research, what I noticed on television is that everyone was talking about hotness and sexiness. They weren't talking about pretty or beautiful anymore. Everything was about being sexy. So I did a whole bunch of research on what sexy was, and I'm married for 32 years, and uh, my poor husband, <laughs> I would ask him these questions, and it's sort of like, you know, when you ask a man if, you're, if your butt looks big in your dress, they just want to run from you. Uh, I would say to him, 
you know, so, so what is sexy anyway, and what does that mean to you? And, he, you know, he would just sort of do his best to answer me and then scurry away as quickly as possible. Um, what I discovered is that sexiness and hotness is about the ability to arouse, and the ability to arouse is based on being a good reproductive candidate. And a good reproductive candidate, when you're a woman, means that you have a small waist-to-hip ratio, that you have young, perky breasts, you have the look of a body that hasn't been impregnated many times before, the look of a body that's still fertile, etc. Women can only birth a certain number of babies. Men can make millions of babies because their bodies make a lot of sperm. We can only carry one egg at a time. So by the time a woman looks as though she's had multiple babies, she no longer has that um, sexy look, which is why there's so much you know, amazement about Kate Goslin and her tummy tuck and all that kind of stuff. For men, the appearance issue becomes less vital than how much money they have because their monetary wealth is a sign of how well, biologically speaking, they can take care of babies. If you think in terms of cave times, uh, the woman would get impregnated and she'd stay back in the cave with the children. The man would go off and he would kill the mastodon or the wild boar and bring the meat back to the family. Nowadays, it's not mastodon or wild boar, it's cash. So if you have plenty of that, you can still be attractive. The woman has to look as though she's reproductively viable in order to be hot. We just don't know as a, on a conscious basis that this is what we're chasing. So when I was 50 and discovered that I was ugly in my car, in the eyes of biology and history in the world, yeah, I am, because I'm no longer impregnable. So I think I, you know, I became fully aware that the culture calls us inv invisible at that point, which actually and ironically freed me up tremendously, Mary, because I, I understood where it came from and I could move on and not be tormented by it anymore. What do you move on to, Tony? What you move on to is some freedom from chasing some kind of invisible standard. Um, the way that uh, our culture is defined now is commerce. You know, we don't just get our cultural messages from our church and our village anymore. Commerce defines what culture is. And many of us have handheld devices that tell us what's pretty, what's sexy, what's ugly, right in the palm of our hand. And realizing that the cultural messages that swirl around us are designed to create shame. This is what advertising and media does. It creates a sense of shame about parts of you that you didn't even know you were supposed to be ashamed of sometimes, and then promise you that if you purchase a product, you won't have that ugliness anymore. That's the dynamic that you can be freed of. I can remember a time I was watching television and a commercial came on and it was a deodorant commercial and there were all these young women strap hanging on a bus or a subway and they had on sleeveless tops 
and the men around them looked at this woman's armpit, and they all gave each other a high five, like, wow, that's a sexy-looking armpit. And I thought to myself, my gosh, I had no idea that my armpits had to be attractive, too. I wonder how my armpits are. And then I thought, no, wait, hold on there, girlfriend. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. Your armpits are fine. They've served the purpose for five decades. You know, I think that uh, growing up, at least in the 60s, um, when miniskirts started to kind of be the um, mm-hmm. the rage and um, poor boys and um, caps, I could never find a cap big enough for my head, you know? <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. it... I was tall, everybody else was short. It was like no matter what the trend was, I was the opposite. And I can remember Twiggy coming um, on with the Ode to London and all the, um, you know, fashions and thinking to myself, I will never look like that and just kind of giving up, thinking like, you know, no matter how hard I try, I will never, I I weighed that much when I was 10, you know, I Mm -hmm. can't do it. And how did that feel and what did that do? It was pretty hopeless. I mean, yeah, and I've never been comfortable with the way I look, you know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, because I, I did, when I look in the mirror, I'm not Twiggy, and that's the that's the impression that's been in my mind since I've been 13. Mm-hmm. You know that that's a that's a sexy girl. That that's a, an attractive girl, and mm-hmm. um, I've yo-yoed with my weight, and it's just like, oh my god, you know, when is this ever going to end? And you know, and now I look at the kind of the heroin chic that make Twiggy look like fat, you know, yep. and it's like, I, ooh, it's scary. It's really scary because you know, it's it so unhealthy. Right. And um, and then I look like, and I think, well, why couldn't I have been born when Michelangelo was around, you know, because, <laughs> you know, um, he was sculpting all kinds of women who had curves in, in all of his artwork. There's curves. Well, you know what the what the irony of that is that some some have some researchers have suggested that whatever isn't easily possible in your culture is the thing that's idealized. So that in the time of Michelangelo or Rubens, when the paintings showed full lush bodies, food was scarce. So if you were able to get a lot of food then that was the ideal. Nowadays, food is plentiful. So the ideal is the opposite of a person who can overeat, and that is the woman who doesn't eat. Essentially, the ideal becomes whatever you can't have. It's like the body version of the grass is always greener at the neighbor's house. Um, I think the other thing, too, I can remember, um, you know, as early as sixth grade, people commenting about people's looks and their size, their shape, um, how tall they were. Um, I mean, I was taller than most of the boys in my class, so I was a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. So it was like, uh, was like awful, you know, and, um, and I guess we always want, well, we always want to be somebody we aren't, you know? Yes. And the intriguing and tragic piece of that is what it does to your life 
what I see in the lives of many women that I know, again, not just patients, but I, you know, highly successful women that I know, they'll, they'll accept marriage proposals from people who are the only one who asked because they thought they'd never get another chance right. because they feel ugly. And I would say that probably happens more than we care to know. A lot. Yeah. And we'll be right back after this next commercial. If you have any comments or questions about ugliness, um, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is Tony Rayton D'Antonio, and we're talking about her new book, Ugliest Sin, and the topic today is ugliness, and 
before we went to commercial, um, we were talking about if a woman feels ugly, what she will settle for because she fears that um, she will never get another opportunity. And um, accepting the first marriage proposal that comes along could be one of them. What are some other things that women will settle for? (laughs) Well, um, uh, sadly, I think that sometimes women settle for despicable treatment if they feel that they're so ugly that they deserve it um, or that they will have limited options in the dating marketplace. And there are many, many women who suffer, suffer verbal and emotional abuse at the hands of their partners. And in fact, I don't know of very many situations that I've ever heard of, and I've been at this for 30-something years now, where bullying and verbal abuse doesn't include a reference to somebody's appearance and calling them ugly. This is why I, one of the reasons why I really want to reclaim the word and have it not be so toxic. And that's why I do call myself ugly without insult, without bad feelings. I just, you know, if somebody wants to call me ugly, I'll say, yep, (laughs) yes, I am, and you are unkind. Why are you choosing to be unkind? Bullying and verbal and emotional abuse is rampant in relationships. And women who feel powerless because they think their appearance makes them unworthy of love are often victimized. I guess we could say that most of our, um, whether it's the movie industry or the cosmetic industry or the fashion industry, um, that's bullying. You know, people are making us try to achieve a standard most of us can never get. Yeah. Well, if you you don't feel ugly, do you go shopping? (laughs) If you feel peaceful, do you buy anything? All of those um, beauty magazines and beauty products really could be called ugly magazines and ugly products. Because if you feel awesome, are you going to be chasing the most current kind of concealer to hide whatever it is they've told you this week to hide? You have to feel ashamed of yourself to go out into the marketplace and feel compelled to do whatever they're telling you to do this year. Suddenly this year, as I mentioned earlier, leopard print leggings and everyone is mindlessly like lemmings compelled towards military jackets and big fake fur vests. Who looks good in these things? Not too many people. Sonny Bono didn't even look good in it. (laughs) (laughs) But if you don't have it and you're not on trend, you are a loser and you're ugly. And the world wants you to know that you darn well better go shopping. This is Why do we give away so much of our power? Oh, well, I, you know, I think we're brainwashed from the moment of our arrival. You know, when, we, when you have a, a baby, the first thing that we look at is gender. And if you have a little, well, first we look at health. I'm going to assume that that's what we check. Is, you know, is she or he okay? All right. It's a little boy. He, we're going to call him rough and tumble, and we're going to say he'll be a football player and all that. When you have a little girl, what do we do? Oh, she's so beautiful. Look at how beautiful she is. Let's dress her up in pink outfits. 
And people start with the shoes and the hair bows and everything from jump with little girl. And if a little girl isn't pretty, she finds out very, very soon. I know I did. Yeah. I've written about that in my book, you know, you know, how I came to be the person who wrote this book about being ugly. Some people think that my family sounds extreme from their reading of the book. I think my family is um, not as extreme as people think it is because I work with real people whose parents tell them that they're ugly or they need to do some crunches on a day-to-day basis. Um, but in my family, the whole question of my beauty was a really hot topic, whether or not Tony was pretty. And my mother supposedly was beautiful when she was young and lost her beauty, they told me, through illness, and that that was one of the great tragic stories of my family. Why? <laughs> Why? Not no the one fact ever that talked she had about Parkinson's. my father's beauty. Yeah. Not the fact that she had Parkinson's disease, right? Yes, she did. My mother had Parkinson's disease. She was physically and mentally ill. And a big part of what happened with her is that she became agoraphobic, um, you know, which is a a serious real anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And her agoraphobia was focused on the fact that she felt ugly and conspicuous because of her illness and because of her own psychiatric problems. As a child, I would beg her to leave the house with me. And I would say, Mama, you know, we'll rent a wheelchair. I'll push you around. We'll have fun. And she said, no, I will not go out in public and have people see me like this. She stayed in the house for decades. Now, if you think of the implications of that on a growing child, i.e. me, and I had siblings who grew up in the same environment where a woman's beauty was, you know, was such a priority that she could win a husband with it, but then she couldn't leave the house if she lost it. The ripple effect of that emotionally and relationally for all the children in my family was very profound. So did you grow up feeling beautiful? No, I felt up I felt I was hideous. And I was told that I was hideous by my siblings. And I was, um, you know, the inference that I was hideous was clear in the media. I grew up comparing myself at the age of four and five years old to Marilyn Monroe and Betty Boop, and I knew that I was a failure. My eyes were crooked. I was kind of round. And I thought, you know, I am in some serious trouble here. And when you published your first book... Did your, um, how you look affected your ability to get published? Well, I, uh, I got a book contract. Yes, I did. Um, and they did not see what I looked like. However, um, when it came time for the book to be released, I was and still am very conscious of the bigotry against regular-looking people in the media. Um, and I made a choice at that time to have plastic surgery in 2004 because I thought it would help sell books. Um, That's one of the things that I've written about in this book because, again, I refuse to be ashamed of myself anymore. Um, If you go into the bookstores and you look at the books on the front tables or turned out on the end caps, 
those are paid positions. Those are not books that are displayed there because the bookstore owners think that those are the best books. Those those spots are all paid for by publishers. I didn't know that. Yeah, very few people know that. And if you go look at those tables, the majority of the books written by women and some men have their faces on the cover if those people are attractive. And if you don't have your face on the cover, it's because you're homely. And so they put your book on the shelf and they turn it to the side. Oh, wow. Yes. My husband is in publishing, and you know, so the ins and outs of the business are well known to me. And I made the choice in 2004 to have, as they say now, some work done, a cosmetic procedure, really, which was, you know, a man coming, a stranger coming at my face with a knife and slicing me to bits. I, you know, I, I got out of there looking like I, you know, I had put my face in a blender, um, and I had my surgery done the same week that Olivia Goldsmith, the author of the First Wives Club, had died in plastic surgery. Oh, wow. Right. So the chapter (laughs) that deals with plastic surgery is called Acts of Desperation, and I'm not kidding. We will, many of us, put our lives in danger to pass for pretty. I subsequently had two life and death surgeries at the end of that same year, and what a wake-up call that was for me, that I had been so willing to take my health for granted and the love of my family for granted by trying to get less puffy eyelids that I have done nothing since and I intend to do nothing of a cosmetic nature. Again, I've stopped dyeing my hair. I've stopped wearing heels because I don't want to fall down and break my hip. I've made uh, much more of an active commitment to being authentic. And let me tell you, it's controversial. A lot of people think I'm nuts, not because I had plastic surgery, but because I no longer dye my hair. Do people treat you differently? Yes, they do. <laughs> it, has, um, it has caused arguments with people in my life, uh, not because I run around saying, hey, I don't dye my hair, neither should you, but because people feel very defensive about their choices and very afraid when we question them. I had a woman who I thought was my friend who cut my hair for 22 years. And when I told her I didn't want to, who, I didn't want to dye my hair anymore, she got furious with me. And I had to go someplace else. Why did she get furious with you? Because she doesn't believe in women, women having grays, as she put it. You can't have grays. I hate grays. This is the language. We don't call it gray hair. We call it grays. Say no to grays. Um, and I said, I, you know, I'm going to have whatever I have. This is my hair. <laughs> and, wow. and how amazing that something like that is controversial. Do people take you more seriously? Oh, more seriously. That's interesting. Um, I think people are more relaxed with me. Probably that's not about the hair color, but it's probably because I'm more relaxed myself. When you or when any of us communicate a level of confidence and peace, I think people pick up on that. 
And I think it's this, you know, this decision to uh, embrace my ugliness has made me very peaceful. And we'll be right back for our final segment with Tony and her book, Ugly as Sin. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk. Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody. Today we're talking about ugliness with Tony Rayton D'Antonio, and we're discussing her book, Ugliest Sin, The Truth About How We Look and Finding Freedom from Self-Hatred. So, Tony, how do we get over this whole concept of ugliness and feeling ugly? <laughs> you had mentioned to me a few moments ago, Mary, one of the statements in the book that I make, and that is that prettiness is a snake oil cure. Uh, having, having the look and having what comes from having that sexy, hot look 
is only temporary. If somebody chooses you because you're beautiful, you're not likely to have a more successful relationship than somebody who chooses a spouse based on the fact that they feel ugly and they're not going to have choices. What we need to understand that beauty is that beauty is temporary. And if somebody chooses you because of your appearance, they're not choosing you. They're choosing your waist or your breasts or your behind. That's not enough to sustain a long-term relationship. It's very important that we come to understand how we arrived at our beliefs about our appearance. I often encourage people to, to write their own ugly biography. How do you know what you know about yourself? And who says that your nose is funny or that your ears are crooked? And is it true and does it matter? And more importantly, I really think that it's important that we educate our children dif- differently. What are some things we can do with our kids that would help that perpetuate the ugliness? Mm. <laughs> I have so many thoughts on that. There's, you know, there's a whole chapter about this topic because I think it's such an important, important issue. It's very important as parents for us to focus on who our children are rather than how they look or what they own. A tremendous number of parents spend time with their kids shopping, and that's their activity. It's really important that we learn who our kids are and and spend time with them above and apart from the marketplace, doing things that are about who they are and about who you are, rather than spending our time together at the mall. And unfortunately, a lot of us take our kids shopping and then we ignore them because we're talking on our cell phones. So uh, I think that there needs to be a reorientation of our parenting policies. Additionally, our households and our families need to have a no-tolerance policy when it comes to abusive language, name-calling, appearance-oriented criticism, etc. I think that the whole question of stereotyping based on appearance and joking about who's ugly and who's fat and all of that needs to stop in American families because the truth is we're all either ugly now or we're going to be ugly if we still hold these same standards and we need to focus the development of our children on the parts of them that are more important than their outsides and that is their insides. I've always raised my daughters and I have two of them now, they're women, to I've raised them with the idea that, you know, yes, you're beautiful, and that's just luck. What's the rest of you? What else you got going on? Because your outsides are not the most important part. Your most important parts are invisible. And if you don't have anything going on there, you got nothing. Right. I think that, um, I think that's so lost in our society because it's about what you've accomplished or what, what, how many toys you have. And really the whole concept of who you are as a person, it's really gotten lost by the wayside. Well, you know, there's no profit in it. What do you sell somebody to make them a person of good character? Nothing. So, you know, again, our culture has become so commercialized that these messages about how to become a decent, kind, ethical person of good character get lost in 
what kind of technology you have, what kind of car you drive, etc. Because you can't sell good character. And as a result, we become so distracted by all this other nonsense that we forget what is primary. And that is human decency and empathy. I think the other thing that's really important, too, when we think about um, becoming free of um, ugliness is just being able to learn to accept who you are. And if you've got big ears or big feet or a big nose, chances are you got it from somebody who came before you. I mean, um, you know, and it's it's part of our heritage. Yeah. Again, the the thing that I want to make clear is that it's we need to be free of, it's the fear of being ugly. We are all ugly. Whether it's hidden under your clothes or your concealer or, you know, you've got enlarged pores or a a bump in your nose, we all have something. It's not the ugliness to be afraid of. It's the fear of being ugly, the fear of being exposed as ugly, and the fear of bigotry because we are, we are prejudiced against people who don't fit the cultural norms when it comes to appearance. We are bigoted against ourselves, and we are bigoted against others. And once we become aware that this is a process that we turn against others and ourselves, we can turn it around. Consciousness is the key. When we know better, we do better. Tony, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about your book or um, your other books? The, uh, well, the books, uh, Ugly as Sin and the Velveteen Principles, are available in bookstores and on all of the uh, Internet booksellers, Amazon.com, etc. If people want to get in touch with me, I do have my own website. It is www.trdantonio. PRDantonio.com, and uh, people can get in touch with me if they'd like me to speak to their group or organization or take a look at the books or find out whatever you want to know about me. You can reach me through my website. Have you ever had anybody argue with you about the fact that ugliness is okay? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) People get very angry at me. And uh, people have wondered if there is something wrong with me, if I am full of self-hatred, and that's why I'm talking about this. And the opposite is true. I feel better than I've ever felt looking at these issues in this way. Um, Thank you so much for writing the book. I hope that a lot of folks get a chance to read it because um, it really does make one think about why we kind of absorb this whole idea of ugliness and that it really is about who you are inside. It's not about how you look or what concealers you wear or how many <laughs> injections of Botox that you've had. It's really about who you are as a person. So thank you, Tony, for writing the book, and thank you for being a guest today. Thank you for inviting me, Mary. I enjoyed it. And um, once again, it's Ugliest Sin, and the author is Tony Rayton D'Antonio. D'Antonio. Thank you. I'm trying here. Have a good week, everybody.
appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.